way that Exodus will be broken down uh, is where it's a historical narrative. So a lot of the New Testament, when we start looking at parables and even some of the writings of Paul, you can spend an entire sermon series on just one little paragraph or in Paul's instance, one run-on sentence, Uh, but Exodus is different, and so Exodus is a historical narrative, and so um, I want to read our text today, and we'll really look at it in three different sections, so uh, the first section is Exodus uh, 4, 1 through 9, and then Exodus uh, 10 through, uh, verses 10 through 12, and then 13 through the end, which is 17 today, and we'll pick up uh, next week at the end of chapter 4, but let's read the word of the Lord. It says this, Exodus 4, verse 1, Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is it? What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. Verse 3, And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand, And catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and he caught it by the tail. And it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe. This is verse 5 and this is really the the key to this morning's text. Verse 5. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses, verse 10, said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Verse 12, Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth. And teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people. And he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do these things. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We just thank you for a time to gather together as the body of Christ, the family of God, uh, to worship and make much of you. And so I pray now in our time together as we dive into your word that you would uh, give us courage to see you clearly, uh, convict our hearts where they need convicting and give us clarity on who you are, what you're about, and what you're calling us to do, and what you're calling us into. We love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the main, the main point, uh, and I'm sorry. Okay, let me start with that. The main point is a four-letter word today, and it's not one that you get in trouble for, but it's one that we don't talk about a lot. 
and it's this idea of obey, okay? In our culture, 2022, it's a forgotten word. We've replaced that four-letter word with other ones that will get you in some trouble, but we don't talk about obedience ever. We, we will sometimes occasionally talk about it at church. Uh, maybe with your kids, you'll talk about it more in right behavior, but we don't talk a lot about obedience. What does it look like to obey the Word of God? And so the main idea today is that our obedience is through faith. Okay, so if you take one thing away, let it be this, that you don't obey in order to get faith. You obey because you have faith. Okay, and as soon as we get those things backward, you're no longer functioning as a Christian. That's legalism. Okay, if I do this, then I get this. That's not what Christianity is about. We do these things that God has called us to do because we have been redeemed, not the other way around. Are we good there? Okay, amen. Yeah, that's probably a good one. Thank you for whoever said that. Okay, so obedience rooted in faith. That's our main idea. Specifically, though, what we've got to talk about, we did this a couple weeks ago. Uh, Dylan did a great job last week with the burning bush, um, which when we looked at the sermon breakdown, I was a little disappointed that I wasn't teaching the burning bush. Um, So be it. But two weeks ago, when we were getting towards the end of chapter two, and it was just the short little three verses, we were talking about God's omniscience, okay? God's omniscience, that he knows all things. And today we're talking about his omnipotence, okay? So one of our key goals in studying God's word, the way that we do it here at the branch, going verse by verse, whole books of the Bible, is to keep in context God's character, The more that we can learn about who God is and what he's about, the more our hearts will desire to obey him. Okay? We good there? So God's omnipotence is the idea that he is all-powerful. Maybe just say all-powerful. Okay? Was that weird? We've never done that before. You didn't do well. Should we try it again? No, we don't have to. We'll make it awkward. But the idea of God's omnipotence, okay, that God is all-powerful. So the omnipotence of God leads to the obedience of his people, all right? And specifically, when we're looking at the life of Moses, we'll see this clearly. Before we jump into that, though, when we go back and we look through these first nine verses, I want to remind us, and we did this, we've done this a few times, of uh, Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians. He says this in chapter 10. This is verse um, 22. Two or verse 10, I think, uh, 10 through 12, yeah. Now these things, or 11 through 12, now these things happen to them as an example, okay? That's a key word here, as an example. They were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Verse 12 says, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. That's a call towards obedience, right? It's a call towards obedience. Now these things happen to them as an example. So last week, in chapter 3, we saw Moses start this trail of excuses, okay? Have you ever made an excuse for something? Yes, you have. So have I. But Moses is doing this. In in chapter 3, verse 11, he gives his first excuse that, hey, I'm I'm a nobody. These people aren't going to listen to me. I'm I'm just, they've forgotten about me. Um, They're they're not going to ever follow me. I'm, I'm a nobody. Have you ever thought that about yourself? Yeah, I have to. His second excuse, this is in just a couple verses later, this is in chapter 3, verse 13, he says, well, I, I don't know what to say. What, they, what if they do recognize me as a leader, but what do I say to them? Have you ever been there? Yeah, me too. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, 
we get more excuses, okay? Listen to what it says. It says, Moses answered. So really, up until now, it's been a lot of God talking, right? God's doing a lot in chapter 3 at the burning bush. And now Moses responds. He says, but behold, they will not believe me. That's excuse number three. So who am I to come to you and say, hey, God told me, right? What if somebody came to you and said, hey, God told me to tell you something? What would you do? He'd throw up a big caution sign, right? I would too, naturally, right? I went to the River Jordan. I got this stuff. It's this green towel. I dipped it in there, and now it will heal you, okay? Have you ever heard those infomercials? Don't buy it, okay? Just, there's your uh, worldly advice. But Moses answered. He said, behold, they will not believe me. Moses was not just doubting who he was. He is now doubting who God is, Okay, And as God revealed himself to him in the burning bush, it was this instant, and then just a few verses later, he's forgotten that. They will not believe me or listen to my voice. They will say, the Lord did not appear to you. I love what it says in verse 2. It says, the Lord said to him, what's in your hand? Right? I mean, so Moses would be standing there talking to God like this, you know, because now he's a shepherd. He's in his 80s. All right? And um, Moses had a rough start. Would we say, can we agree there? Moses kind of had a rough start. He got thrown into the river when he was a baby, an infant. Uh, he was redeemed out of the, the Nile. And, uh, and then he grows up in the house of Pharaoh. And then he sees the oppression of his people. And he reacts, right? Have you ever reacted? Yeah. And he kills a guy. Have you ever killed a guy? Anybody? Oh, okay. But he kills a guy. And then what happens? He flees, right? And so there's 40 years. And now he's, there's another 40. And so now we know that he's, he's somewhere in his 80s, and he's a shepherd. That's what we know about Moses. He's a shepherd. So he's got a staff. If you don't know what a staff is, it's the long stick, walking stick with a hook, right? And the hook was there to help guide his sheep, and the end was there to whack the sheep, right? So when he needed a little tap on the bottom, he would turn it around. When he needed a little loving guidance, he'd use the hook. But he had his staff, and so he, God says to him, what's that in your hand? And Moses just says, it's a staff. Do you know what a staff is? the staff, right? That's not what it's about. Verse 3 says, throw it on the ground. Now, here's where I start questioning things, okay? Throw it on the ground. Well, why would I do that? Because then I'm going to have to pick it up. And you know, God's saying, you're right, but you're not going to pick up what you think you're going to pick up, okay? So Moses throws it on the ground, and I would like to say he like bat flipped it. You know, have you guys seen the new, like all the college guys now are bat flipping, you know, they hit a home run and the bat goes way up in the air and almost hits everybody that's running out to congratulate them. So Moses bat flips his staff, right? Hits the ground. And what happens? It became a snake, okay? The next part is the most truthful part of all of Exodus. He ran, right? You're right, he ran. I'm running and you're running, okay? Now, I don't know, do we have any snake handlers in the room? Okay, if so, we need to talk later because you can't be here, okay? <laughs> I'm, I do not like snakes, straight up, at all. No snakes. A good snake is a, a dead snake, right? And not just dead, but dead, dead, dead. Like there's 75 pieces of that thing that used to be a snake. That's a good snake, right? Whether it's a shovel or a shotgun, that snake needs to be dead. So Moses throws his staff on the ground and it turns into a serpent. Why is this important? This is creation theology. Okay? Go back to Genesis chapter 3. Who slithers into the garden? It's a serpent. Okay? And then what is the ramification of that? God says, after sin enters the world, that the serpent will strike man's heel and man will crush the head of the serpent. That is what's happening 
in Exodus. If the serpent is Egypt, God is about to strike the head of the serpent. Okay? So we don't know this contextually, but I think it's pretty safe to say that, that snake that came out of the staff was probably a cobra, because a cobra in Egypt was very important, right? A cobra is the one with the big neck thing that flares up when he's real angry. Um, but it was what Pharaoh wore on his crown. Okay? And when Pharaoh would put that crown with the cobra's head on it, he became a living god, little g god, but that's what the people thought, that he was some sort of deity. He was all-powerful according to Egypt. And what is God saying right here? No, you're not. I'm all-powerful. I'm the only true, omnipotent being. The Lord said to Moses, throw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. He ran. Verse 4. Moses, the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. Now, this is where I say, Lord, I love you. I believe you. I'm not going to do that. Okay? This is where our, and I'm sure Moses was going through this same thing, right? All right, look, we just got introduced to each other. You came to me in a burning bush, and now you want me to pick a snake up by a tail. You don't do that. I do know enough about snakes. One, you shouldn't ever pick them up, but you should never pick them up by the tail. Right? You usually grab them right there by the neck, and then you squeeze them really hard. Right? <laughs> but grab it by the tail. And Moses does it. He does it. He might not want to have done it, but he does it. And what happens? It turns back into a staff. Verse 5 says, the, gives purpose, gives context to what God's doing. This isn't like a list of bar tricks, right? These signs aren't things that God is doing in order to be like, ooh, it's magic. No, he's, he's doing three things very specifically. He's, he's proving himself, one, to Moses, two, to the Hebrews, and three, to the Egyptians, that's what these signs are for. It's a sign to Moses, it's a sign to the Hebrews, and it's a sign to the Egyptians. Verse 5, why? That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. That's pretty amazing. Why do you want my staff to turn into a snake and then you want me to grab the snake? Here's why. That they may believe. Believe in what? Not believe in Moses, but believe in the one true God, who last week got a name. His name is I Am, right? I am enough. I am all-powerful. I am all-knowing. Verse 6, and again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. Now, he doesn't precursor it. He just says, put your hand inside your cloak. So he, he does. Right? That's the easy part, right? Dropping the staff is the easy part. It's what happens next that gets scary, so he puts his hand inside of his cloak, and he pulls it out, and his hand is covered in leprosy. But it's not just any kind of leprosy. It's snow-white leprosy. And back in the, these times, leprosy was a death sentence. Especially the wider it got, the worse it was. And the Egyptians had spent a ton of money, had spent a ton of time, a ton of their most highly educated people trying to cure leprosy. So Moses pulls his hands out, and it's covered now, I'm sure he was scared of the snake, but he's scared of this too. Because what happens if now I, my hand is actual leprosy? What if it stays that way? God says, put it back in. So he does. And what happens? He comes back out and he's healed. So here's the sign to the Egyptian. You've been trying to cure leprosy. Watch this. I'm all powerful. I can do it just like that. Right? There's significance here. Okay? 
God is doing signs in order to prove himself, not just to Moses, not just to the Hebrews, but also to the people of Egypt. Put your hand back inside the cloak. So he did. When he took it out, it was restored. I love the word restored. Maybe circle that if you like to mark up your Bible. It was restored. There is a greater restoration coming than just the one from leprosy. There's one restoration that's coming to the human heart. comes in the form of Christ. We'll see this play out too towards the end of today's text. It was restored like the rest of his flesh. Verse 8. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. Well, that seems easy enough. I can do that. Take a cup, scoop out some water. Now what? I got a cup of water. There's faith. The obedience is not scooping it up, but it's going over to dry land and pouring it out. And when he pours it out, it becomes blood on the dry ground. Now, why is this significant? One, this is a precursor to the plagues that are coming. Uh, in like maybe three or four months, we'll get there. Um, but plagues are coming, and the Nile is a big part of the plagues. We've already established the Nile. We did this at the beginning. The Nile is the source of all of their uh, Egypt's economy, right? All of their wealth, all of their power, all is tied to this river, okay? So what happens if the river turns to blood? Their economy is destroyed. Their power is gone. All of the authority they have in all of the region is, is, is eliminated, just like that, And so God says, I'm all-powerful. The thing that you think sustains you does not. So, excuse number three, they won't believe me. They won't believe me. God gives his word to Moses. He does this in chapter three before he reveals his power to Moses. He does this. This is very important. He does this to us too. He gives us his word before he reveals his power. Okay? As he steps, as Moses steps into obedience, God's power comes in. Okay, so let's go back to this main idea that we established at the beginning. We don't obey in order to get faith. We obey because of faith. That's what's happening here with Moses. But God gives his word to Moses, okay? faith. He gives Moses the faith, and then comes his power. Okay? Do you understand what I'm saying here? So if Moses had not thrown down his staff, he is now in disobedience. Okay? So God's power is stayed. Okay? If he doesn't scoop out the water out of the Nile and dump it on dry ground, he's in disobedience and God's power is stayed. Same thing with the hand in the cloak. Okay? I wonder how many times he did that, by the way. I'd be like, oh, you know, just, you know, sorry. Okay. So these signs, though, are just a rehearsal. Okay? It's just God and Moses at this point. And God's just trying to say, hey, Moses, this isn't about you. I know you're not enough. I know you have the excuses, and there are all these things that you're a nobody, and you don't know what to say, and they won't, they won't believe you. And Moses doesn't stop there. He's got a few more excuses coming. But God's just saying, look, I'm just preparing you. Right? If you can do it here, I'm going to need you to go in front of the people and do it. Okay? And I think here's how I want to relate that to where we are today. Have you ever been scared to share the gospel with somebody? If we could just do this, all of us collectively, I think we would function as a family. Yes. Okay? Have you ever been scared to stand up in front of people and uh, preach the gospel to people? Mm-hmm. I have. Okay, not me, maybe not you, but I have, okay? Um, When we do these rehearsals, right? When I was in seminary, you take a preaching class and you stand in front of 12 people, which is super awkward. And and there's a mirror in in the back of the room, which is even more awkward. And there's a camera behind there and that's where the professor sits and you can't see him or anything like that. But you see yourself. It's a rehearsal, right? They're teaching you how to do this when eventually you're called to go do this in front of a congregation, right? Rehearsal, repetition is important. 
If God had just said, okay, go in front of Pharaoh and stick your hand, he, it's not the same as if, if God has proven himself to Moses, right? And so we rehearse these things. So when it comes to how do we share the gospel with people, how do we talk about our faith? Well, if you never do it, you never practice. That's what, that's what we're doing here. That's what we do in family groups. Is we're constantly telling the story of the gospel. We're rehearsing it. We're reminding each other of it. And then we're said to go. And that word comes up later in Exodus. So three signs. The, the staff and the serpent. The leprosy and the cloak. The Nile and the blood. Our churches, I think, are... Uh, here's some more context, contemporary context. Our churches are filled with people who hold staffs. They may even be filled with people who throw them down. They're not filled with people who are willing to grab it by the tail. Okay? It's easy to throw a staff down. It's easy to scoop up water. It's easy to stick your hand inside your jacket. Okay? It's hard to do the hard thing. It's hard to do the hard thing. That's why we come together on Sundays. This is the collective encouragement, the collective gathering. It's the deep inhale of the body of Christ to be reminded, hey, your faith is real. Your faith has made you well. Have you ever heard that? Your faith has made you well. Grab it by the tail. I'm right here. I'll help you grab it by the tail. Now, if we're talking about actual snakes, I won't help you there. But if it's God's snake, I'll do that, okay? All right? So we got to be reminded. And I think my great fear as... I've been in ministry for a long time, is that we're, we're loading our churches full of people who are, refuse to obey God's word. When God says go, he doesn't mean stay. He means go. Just the two, the two letters, G and O. Sometimes with an exclamation mark, sometimes with a period. He means go. Okay. So whatever he's calling you to, to not do it is to disobey. Right? And the world's throwing all kinds of stuff at us that are tempting us. Well, hey, this is more comfortable over here. I mean, I can go to church, but I also have this job that's paying me really good, and I don't have to do anything else. Or, hey, there's this thing on the Internet that I'm kind of liking, and it makes me feel good, and so I'm just going to keep doing that. And God's Word's saying, no, you've got to turn it off. Come after me. That's what Jesus is saying to his disciples. Come after me. And so we need to reclaim obedience in the face of culture who says, just do whatever you want. That's the most dangerous thing in our contemporary world. You do you. You ever heard that phrase? You do you. No. How about you do what God says? Well, I don't know what God says. Come into the body, and we'll tell you. We'll teach you. We'll rehearse it together. All right, verse 10. Keep moving. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord. Now, I'm going to stop right here because we get Yahweh, Lord, okay, in chapter 3. All right, we get a new Lord here in chapter 4. So Moses said to, the, to Yahweh, O Adonai. Okay? Yahweh is who God has defined himself as. Right? Who, do, who do I tell them that you are? Yahweh. I am that I am. Okay? That was last week. Now we get this new name for God. It's a declaration by Moses, really. It's a submission. Adonai, which means Lord. Or I'm placing myself as a servant under your authority. Adonai is different than Yahweh. Okay, so Moses said to Yahweh, O Adonai. And then what does he do? He comes up with another excuse. So he's saying, he's declaring submission, but then he's acting in disobedience. Okay? That's the danger, I think, that we have. God is great. I'm going to do what I want. 
Okay? O Adonai, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and of tongue, maybe some sort of speech impediment. Verse 11, the Lord said to him, who made your mouth? Moses, come on. Who made your mouth? Who made it? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord, Yahweh? Is it not me? Is it not I am? Did you forget my omnipotence? Did you forget that I'm all powerful? I have the power to let you speak, and I have the power to let you be mute. Either way, I am still Yahweh. Okay? Who's made, who made man's mouth? Verse 12, now, therefore, what's the word? Let's do better. Let's do better. If you have your Bible, we're in Exodus chapter 4. This is verse 12. It's the third word. It's the short word that comes after therefore. Now, therefore, go. Now, therefore, go. There is a call to action. There is a call to action. Go. And then what does God say? He doesn't say go do this thing. He says go and I will be with your mouth. I will be with your mouth. So let's go back to our how do we share the gospel with people. God's saying, I made your mouth. Your mouth isn't perfect, but I don't need your mouth to be perfect because I'm perfect. And if you'll just let me use you, then I'll accomplish the things that I need to accomplish. Okay? So when we're talking about our faith in our workplace or our faith at school and you get, you get real nervous, you know, God is with you. That is his promise. It's a covenant, actually. He has covenanted to be with you. You will never be alone. I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what you shall speak. That's encouraging. That is encouraging. As a guy, so if you're new to the branch, I'm one of the communicators, but we have a team of communicators. This, I find rest here. There's a lot of weeks where I'll be doing work, and, and, and by the way, you don't just show up and start talking. So if you didn't know that, um, you have to do a lot of work. There's a lot of study that goes into getting stuff like this prepared. There should be, okay? Somebody who's faithfully preaching the text can't just show up on Sunday, I guess. But it's not just a Sunday thing. But you have, you have all of this pressure, right? This is me just being vulnerable, if that's okay. You have all of this pressure. God, are, are you sure you can use me? Are you sure this is, what if I say it like this? Well, what if I meant that? Okay? You may have a little bit of a different job, but we all are going to go through that. What if this person I've been sharing my faith with doesn't ever come to Christ? What if they never come to church? What if they're never baptized? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? And God's saying, I will. I will. And I'm good. But I will. I will be with your mouth. Adonai. That is the great declaration here. I don't speak good. I don't need you to. I just need you to say yes. I need you to go. All right, verse 13. But he said, here we go again. Oh, Adonai, send someone else. In chapter 3, God calls out to Moses, and what does he say? Here I am, Lord. He's pretty zealous back then, right? Here I am. And now he's saying, nope, nope, this is getting real. I'm kind of comfortable. I'm old. My sheep are still right here. The snake didn't get him. I'm good. Send someone else. Verse 14, the anger of the Lord was kindled against him. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I love this because we're not ever called to do ministry alone. 
ever. God always puts people in our life who can help and walk with and shepherd. Our church is led by a group of elders. There's a plurality of leadership. Just because I'm the one you see most often doesn't mean I'm the authoritarian, make every decision. I'm not. I don't want that. I am in submission to a group of men who love and serve and guide the church. Would you pray for them? Thank you. The anger of the Lord was kindled. Is there not Aaron? Is there not someone who can go with you to encourage you, to remind you? I'll use them as I use you. I know, this is verse 14, I know that he can speak well. God's just echoing back to his doubts. I know, well, he can. I'll let him do the talking. You just get up there. What winds up happening is Moses winds up doing a lot of the talking anyways, like a uh, pure type A. Um, I might be type A too, sorry. Uh, Behold, now you're talking, talking of Aaron, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad. He will be glad. We don't know a lot about Aaron and Moses' relationship before them, but it's safe to say it's been a long time since they've seen each other. Okay? Possibly 80 years. Aaron wasn't raised in Pharaoh's house. Aaron didn't go to Midian. Moses did. So imagine, like, I don't know if you've ever been, we lived in Texas for a long time, and every time we would come in, come back, it'd be like, you're home, right? And you feel this sense of, like, belonging. You also feel this sense of, like, well, now that I'm home, I can do, I can do me. I can do this thing, right? You get this sense of, uh, of encouragement and courage when you're around the people who love and care about you. Aaron loves and cares for Moses. He will be glad, in his heart. Verse 15, you shall speak to him and put the words, the words that I'm going to give you into his mouth. And I will be, I love this, just this, this repetition, I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and with all y'all's mouths, right? That's how I keep reading that. And with all your mouth, you know? I will be with your mouth and his mouth and I will teach you both what to, what is that word? To do. So we think a lot of times it's about saying, but there is saying and there's doing. Those things have to be together. Have you ever heard, um, there's a quote that's attributed to a guy, it shouldn't be attributed to the guy, but it says, um, preach the gospel always, and when necessary, use words. Have you ever heard this? Okay. It's attributed to, to a guy who uh, started the Franciscan order, St. Francis himself of Assisi. He didn't say that. Uh, spoiler alert. Um, he actually was a very good preacher, uh, Francis was, and he was committed to preaching the gospel. Okay? Now, he was, his Franciscan order, did, they did a lot for the community. Okay? So some of that stuff was just perverted along the way. But you can't preach the gospel without your mouth. Okay? The gospel is good news that must be declared. Now, there are good works. right? This is the obedience part that must go along. So if you have, if you have a gospel declaration and no good works, do you really have the gospel? No. If you have good works and you don't have the gospel being preached with words... Do you have the gospel? No, those two things go together. That's what God is doing here. I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what to do. So I will teach you what to say, and I will teach you what to do. That is the life. That is the rhythm of the Christian. Verse 16. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God's him. Take Take in your hand this staff, with which you shall do these things. It's, that staff becomes a constant reminder of God's presence in Moses' life. I think we all need those things. Maybe it's another person. Maybe it's a Bible. 
We all need those reminders. Maybe it's a little note card on your dashboard. Those reminders that God is with you. I think a lot of times in our culture, things happen and we feel alone. That is the most dangerous place for a Christian. It's the most dangerous place for any human to be, is alone. I think loneliness is the, is the key cause to so much that is wrong in our world. Okay? That's why we do life together. That's why we do family groups, Sunday mornings. We do kids the way that we do it. Okay? You're not meant to be alone. You're meant to live in community. And what Moses is proving here is that he wasn't meant to do it by himself. Aaron goes with him. So we oftentimes, I think, we want the power of God, right? We want the signs. We want the, the, the staff and the serpent and the leprosy and the blood. As long as we don't have to do anything. I want the power of God. I just, I don't want to give anything up. I don't want to change my lifestyle. I don't, I don't want to go. I don't want to go there. Are you sure that's where I'm being called? I don't think it's being, I don't think that's right. We need to rest. We need to rest in who God is. We need to rest in his omniscience, yes. We also need to rest in his omnipotence, that he's all-powerful. God's made you perfectly. This is what the Bible says over and over again. There's no part about you that he didn't create on purpose. Have you heard it that way? There's no part about you that he hadn't created on purpose. Right? I think we all have things that we doubt. We all have things that we don't like. We stand in the mirror and we think, ugh. Shoot. Shucks. Whatever. No other four-letter words. But we look at ourselves and we're like, I, God can't use me. Or because of this thing in my past. God can't use me anymore. I'm disqualified forever. Or this decision I made or this thing I looked at or this thing I drank or this thing I did, I can't, I'm not good enough anymore. I can't be used by God. That is a good lie. It is a devastating lie, and it's not true. It is not the gospel. You need to rest in how God's made you, including your limitations. I often, uh, when I was growing up, and some of you heard me tell this story, but uh, I grew up, I, I was the, I'm the oldest of four boys, and I was the rule follower for the most part. I mean, we all break rules, but I, was the, I always wanted to do things the right way. I still do that. I always wanted to do things the right way. And I thought if the more right things I could do, the better off I would be. And when I became a Christian, I realized, oh, shoot, I hadn't really done anything that bad. Well, my testimony's no good. Nobody wants to hear about a kid who never got in trouble, never drank, never did the thing, or that thing, or the other thing. Well, I mean, he was all right. He was good already. It wasn't until much later in my life that that's the most scary testimony of all. Because I was dead and I didn't know it. Sin, I was dead in my sin. Now the world said, hey, those aren't sins, you're fine. You can say that or you can do that. Or, as long as you didn't do this, that's a lie. So no matter what your story is, God's going to use you for his good. Ultimately, for his kingdom to be no, made known on earth. So let me leave you with this. We need to stop making excuses. If you hear me making an excuse, would you call me out? If I hear you making an excuse, I'm going to call you out. I'm going to do it in love, though, okay? You can hit me with the rod of the staff if you need to. I'll use the hook, all right? We need to stop making excuses. Jesus said to go. 
make disciples. And he put a destination on it too, didn't he? Ultimately, he said, go to the ends of the earth. And that can be right here, but it could be to the other side of the earth. Go, make disciples. His might and his power accomplish his purpose. His might and his power accomplish his purpose. These signs are powerful signs that point towards the goodness of God, not the greatness of man. Ultimately, they point to, the God, to man's need of a great God who's all-knowing and he's all-powerful. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning and a chance to study your word. God, I'm thankful for the story of Moses. The story of Moses is the story of us. I pray that you would call us encouraged to be obedient to your word. I pray that we would be a people who are sent, people who are willing to go, people who are willing to do, and a people who are willing to speak. Would you give us the words? God, next time we have any of us has an opportunity to share what you've done, no matter our story, would you give us the courage to share your story? Whether it's a story of addiction and abuse or a story of following all the rules and still missing, would you use us for your good and your glory? God, I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful that Jesus is a better Moses who made zero excuses as he was the final cup poured out, not to defeat just a nation, but to defeat death itself. Pray that as he followed and obeyed your will, that we would do it as well. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.